Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Week 14 edition of the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined, as always, by two-time Super Bowl champion and 12-year veteran of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ike Taylor. What's up, Mark and Mark? Let's get to this, uh, this good podcast we're about to go through. Ike, I feel like this is going to be a rinse and repeat. We're recording this on the Monday after the Steelers' 23-17 win over the Arizona Cardinals. The Steelers have won three games in a row now in a position to make the playoffs the sixth seed in the AFC. So on today's show, we'll talk about how Duck Hodges continues not to kill the Steelers. And on Taylor Talk, We'll talk about how the Steelers almost have a position by committee given all the different injuries that the team has had. But we'll start with the big takeaway, as always. So, Ike, I want to go here. It's Mike Tomlin's 13th straight non-losing season. Mm-hmm. The Steelers, at worst, will go 8-8, eight and eight, three weeks left in the season. This guy's the coach of the year. I certainly understand what... John Harbaugh has done in Baltimore, what Kyle Shanahan has done in San Francisco. But yet again, I feel like this is a rinse and repeat, like I said off the top. Mike Tomlin, with what he's done this season without your starting quarterback, really on your fourth-string quarterback, because Roethlisberger's down, Mason Rudolph got benched, the team traded Josh Dobbs. James Connors missed significant time this season with the shoulder injury. Juju Smith-Schuster has missed time with a concussion and a knee injury. And the Steelers keep finding ways to win. If you just look at that and the team that you root for, I feel like I'm a broken record because we've said this week after week. If the team that you root for was missing, it's starting quarterback, it's starting running back, and it's best receiver, would you still expect to be competitive in the Steelers? have won seven out of their last eight games. Yeah, we talked about, really, we've been talking about this for like four weeks, Mark. So, you know, like you said, missing your starting quarterback, missing your center, your starting pro bowl, all pro center for a couple of weeks. Then you go down to your running backs. Then you go down to your receivers. You know, the record the record looking real shady. And we're talking about a quarterback who didn't won Super Bowls in Big Ben. So when you look at that situation, you're like, okay, we can uh, go 500 with a Mason Rudolph. He's projected to be our next franchise player. Let's see what he do. Of course, he got injured. Then he came back. He struggled. Now we're di- down to, like you said, our fourth-string quarterback. Uh, if you're just looking at what y'all did with Josh Dobbs and trading him before the season. So now you go to Duck, Duck Highs and you're like, oh, man, we're really in the tank. Now we're really going to be in the hole because Juju ain't playing. Connor, he's hurt. So what are we looking at? We're looking at nothing, nothing that looks good. That's what we're looking at. But at the same time, Coach Tomlin, and I keep saying this, he's doing this with, I'm not going to say journeyman, but at each position, they wasn't drafted high. Your Snells wasn't drafted high. Your Samuels wasn't drafted high at the running back position. Then you go down, Washington was drafted pretty high. 
but everybody else pretty much for that wide receiver position, it wasn't a high-round draft pick. When you're looking at second-day guys coming off the draft board, when you're looking at a free agent signing in Duck Hodges, you're like, damn, man, I'm looking at Pittsburgh. They'll probably go like 6-10 right now. The boy's still in the wild car race. And when you see that, who it starts with, it starts with Coach Tomlin. It starts with the believing. It starts with the next man up, like legit next man up. It starts by running back or receiver by committee, which I'm going to talk about talk about that later. But when you just see what Coach Tomlin is doing, yeah, the hard bars, of course. Y'all supposed to get, you know, Coach of the Year because you got a starter. But Shanahan, yeah, you're supposed to get Coach of the Year when you got the starter. So when everybody's pretty much healthy, it's easy to get Coach of the Year. How your team, what would your team do? How would your team respond when you have a team like Coach Tomlin? We like to call it a down bad team. I mean, the majority of our superstars are sitting on the sideline with injuries. It's hard to say. I don't know if you're going to be 85 going into the playoffs if it was to start the day being a wild card. I just don't know. I know right now for Coach T, and we said this, and I said this too, Mark, Coach Tomlin really want to see where he at. He didn't have all the All-Stars for a long course of his career. He never had a losing season. He wants to see his challenge and where he at. And he's stepping up to the plate. He's challenging himself, the coaching staff, and the players. And all they're doing is picking up the phone and answering the call. 2003 marked the last season the Steelers had a losing season. Duck Hodges now 3-0. and As a starter, he completed 16 out of 19 passes for 152 yards had a touchdown pass as well. He became the first undrafted rookie in 32 years to win his first three NFL starts. That dates back to the 1987 season. And Ike, I'm going to put you on the spot here really quickly. I had to look this up. Devlin Hodges, he went to Samford, not Stanford, Samford. Do you know which state Samford is in? Just off the top of your head, I had to look this up. No, I don't. Talk to him. Alabama. Samford University is in Birmingham, Alabama. And this is a guy, an undrafted rookie, and he's at least being somewhat productive. And again, 3-0 and as a starter, coming in with this situation. If you had an undrafted rookie at quarterback, again, and you can say that the defense is as good as there is in the league, and we'll get into that. But an undrafted rookie from Samford? You, can't, you couldn't make this up if it was a Hollywood movie. When, you, when you're looking at Doug, and we, we said this a couple of weeks ago, Mark, like right now over Mason Rudolph, he's just more decisive on what he wants to do. You know, he's not thinking twice, and that's all coach can really ask for. You can make mistakes, but at least show me you making the mistakes by being confident at making the mistakes, not being hesitant. And that was just the issue with Mason at the time. He was just being hesitant. And you can see Doug throwing guys open. It's the difference between, yeah, I need to throw where that ball is or can I throw it in that tight window? If you just look at that ball he threw to D. Johnson on the sideline, he threw D. Johnson open. And what I mean by throwing a a guy open is throwing it away from a defender where only your receiver can catch the ball. And that's what Duck Hodges is doing. And for me, that's nothing but confidence. This is his third game. He's feeling real comfortable. He's getting more reps with his wide receivers at practice, now you're starting to see what Duck Hodges can do. That's what I like about it. But when you run the ball, period, more than 30 times, that's the blueprint. 
because I remember Big Ben, uh, we didn't ask Big Ben to do much when uh, Tommy Maddox got hurt. All we asked Big Ben to do is not create and have a lot of turnovers at the time to keep the team and our defense off the field, have a good running game with Jerome Bettis, Deuce Staley, and Willie, Willie Parker at the time. And what do you know? From 2005, it's the same thing going on with Doug Hodges. The same thing. You run it more than 35 times, play good defense. You don't ask your quarterback to do much. Maybe you might have your quarterback throw the ball max 25 times a game, but we're not, we're not asking him to do that. If he can use his legs to scramble and extend plays and make plays off of that, we cool. No turnovers. We win a lot of games. The same recipe. The same recipe in 2005 when we won that Super Bowl. I'm looking at the same recipe with Doug Hodges and what the Pittsburgh Steelers are doing now on defense, the running game, and Duck not giving away the ball, minimum 19 times per game, and coming out of stadiums with a W. Ike, I think this is where we need to appreciate the season that kicker Chris Boswell has had for mm -hmm. the Steelers. He has been so reliable for Pittsburgh. He made all three of his field goals on Sunday, all of his extra points. He's been pretty much automatic. And I know one of the misses he had this year wasn't even his fault because it was how the holder held the football. And so he has just been so reliable to where even when the Steelers aren't able to punch it in for a touchdown, they're still able to, at a minimum, at a minimum, get three points with how reliable Boswell has been. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball, though, Ike. And this defense mm -hmm. continues to ball out, intercepting Kyler Murray three times in this game, sacking him five times. And it's the usual mm -hmm. suspects. It's Joe Hayden. It's TJ Watt. It's Bud Dupree. It's the same guys I feel like we talk about week in and week out. Yeah, it is. But around this time, that's what it should be. You talk about Bud Dupree kind of just feeding off of T.J. Watt. And I think in the offseason, them boys worked out together. So when you work out with somebody in the offseason, you create a kind of bond. That's how it was with me, James Ferrer, Brian McFadden, Will Gay, Ricardo Coakley. I can go down the line with guys, Cortez Allen. We all worked out together. So when you just work out in the offseason for three or four months, all you know is that person. You know that per person's tendencies. You know where that person likes to eat. You know what time that person get up. <laughs> you, know what, you know what pisses that person off. You know what makes that person happy. That's just what you do when you're in the offseason together. So I don't. I think this was the first time TJ and Bud really had a good offseason together. And you can just tell. Like, you can tell by the way they have the handshakes. You can tell by the way they hang out. You can tell by the way they communicate on the field that it's benefiting not only TJ but Bud because – that was a question mark about Bud. And we talk about contracts. And usually guys always play outside of their body when it comes down to contract because they're looking for that big payday. But heck, they picked up his fifth-year option, so he's getting paid regardless. He's just looking for a long-term extension. But you can just tell, like, Bud just playing, you know, not outside his body, but he's playing at a level which was expected from him being the first-round draft pick. Dupree in a contract year this year, and going on the opposite side of T.J. Watt, good luck to opposing quarterbacks this season. T.J. Watt has been one of the NFL's best. He's still on his rookie deal as well. When that comes up, T.J. Watt will get paid. 12 and a half sacks this year, five forced fumbles, three fumbles recovered, and two interceptions. Ike, I'm going to give you a hot take here. 
mm-hmm. and this might blow your mind and it might seem mm-hmm. far-fetched, but I'm going to give you a hot take here. Mm-hmm. TJ Watt is now the better Watt. He is now a better player than JJ. Hear me out here, okay? Mm-hmm. We always say this on the show. The best ability is availability. JJ Watt has only played in 16 games once in the last four seasons. TJ Watt, only 25 years old, his brother JJ at 30. JJ is a Hall of Famer. There's no doubt there. But you're looking at the production and what TJ Watt's doing in his third season. 12 and a half sacks already, and we still have three games to go. Mm -hmm. This guy, and you say this every single time I bring up TJ Watt, Ike, you say consistency. That is the word you always use to describe T.J. Watt. Again, because he's been able to stay on the field right now, if I had to pick between the two, again, J.J., 30 years old, he's dealt with several injuries and is a tremendous Hall of Fame player in his own right. But if I had to pick between the two right now, it might not be the popular decision. T.J. Watt, in terms of on-field production, I think is better than his brother right now. No, if you look at it, man, just – I mean, speaking of TJ, and you can look at look at JJ stats. I got TJ stats right here. TJ right now, he got 32.5 sacks in three years. Three interceptions, which is saying a lot. If he keep that pace up, and we don't know how long he wants to play, I'm sure he wants to play more than 10 years. But if that man keep that pace up, man, he's talking about 100 some sacks. He's talking about 100 some sacks. But it's his motor, it's his determination, it's his smarts. It's his skill. And what separates TJ from a lot of other defensive end slash outside linebackers is his smarts. If you just ask anybody around that, you know, facility, the first thing they tell you, TJ, the first thing he wants to do is watch tape. I don't know too many defensive ends outside of watching tape with their actual defensive group watch tape by themselves. He gets that from his older brother, J.J. Watt. And we talk about, you know, the best ability is availability. And so far, he's been available. Now, if he can keep that same non-injury-related system up for the next 10, 12 years, then it's going to be even better. But, you know, right now, that's the only thing that's been hurting his big brother is injuries. Injuries have been hurting not only his career, but, you know, the force he presents when he's on the field. Man, what T.J. has been doing, it's been unbelievable, man. We talk about a guy with 32-some sacks in three years, seven in his rookie year, interception. Then he come back with, what, 13 last year. Then this year right now, he's sitting at 12.5. So he's just a, a sack guru, a sack master, if you want to say. So, you know, they, there was a lot of question marks on getting TJ in that draft. But now you really understand the Pittsburgh Steelers in that, in that front office, they really don't miss when it comes down to linebackers. J.J. Watt with 20 sacks over the last three years. That's 29 games played. So, again, he's dealt with injuries, only playing in eight games this season, out with a season-ending injury. Played in all 16 a year ago, but then in the 2017 season, he only played in five. Again, he's, J.J. Watt has dealt with a number of different injuries, and that has limited him just because he hasn't been able to stay on the field. Ike, I want to go to good call, bad call, and we'll start with bad call. I had two of them. One was down 20 to 10, and this is kind of a good way uh, to keep, you know, go from TJ Watt to this play. The Cardinals were down 20 to 10, less than 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter. 
and they decided mm-hmm. to go for it on a fourth down in the red zone. I just don't understand why the Cardinals decided not to kick the field goal and make it a one-score game. T.J. Watt intercepts Kyler Murray, and it stops a scoring drive, and the Cardinals don't get anything out of it. I, d- I didn't understand the decision for the Cardinals to go for it there when, again, a field goal makes it a one-score game. Yeah, that was kind of tough to look at. But at the same time, you don't, you don't know the gut feeling, you know, coming from the head coach. You know, a lot, I, I know a lot, a lot of talk has been into analytics, and this is what you need to do or try to do. But and this is no knock and no disrespect to anybody on an analytical team. But when it comes down to football, actually being on that field, you got to follow your, your instincts. And that's from a coaching standpoint to an actual player playing on the field. You have to go. That's what makes the good players great. The Troy Palomalus, the the Ed Reeds, the James Ferriers. The, so we can go down the line. Jerome Bettis, like you gotta the analytics. You gotta throw that out the window because these people coming up with these analytical situations, they're not on the field. They just doing good numbers. So they give you by the numbers what they think you should do what they're rallying up. But it's only that gut feeling. It was only that gut feeling for James Harrison to feel, man, I can't get this sack in the Super Bowl. Let me come out with coverage and wind up helping us win that Super Bowl in town. That, that wasn't analytical. That was a gut feeling. It's only a gut feeling when you watch the Patriots play KC yesterday when they try to go all out and not have nobody return the ball last night. That's just a gut feeling coming from Coach Belichick. There's no analytics about that. So, for me, the outcome was bad when it came down for that play call and then Kyle Murray threw the ball and TJ picked the thing off. But from a coaching standpoint, yeah, three sounds safe. Three sounds safe, meaning three points sound safe. It's 20 to 10. You got a lot of time left. You only be down by a touchdown that sounds safe. But it's gut. We don't know what his gut feel like. So we can go back and forth, but that's always been my answer when it comes down to these analyticals and coach should have did this. Yeah, coach should have did that. When, how? Because if they would have won, it would have been smart if they would have scored a touchdown. But since they lost, it wasn't a good idea. So you're always in a lose-lose situation, regardless when it comes down to making them tough decisions. And maybe Cliff Kingsbury, the Cardinals coach, felt that his team would have limited possessions, especially trying to move the ball against Pittsburgh's defense. Now you're talking like a coach. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'm saying, Mark. That's, that's that good feeling. By the way the game was going, they was already struggling getting down there anyway. So he was like, man, since we're down now, might as well use all four of these downs to try to scope. Gotcha. The other one I had was in – Coach Mike Tomlin took responsibility for this after the game was the fake punt by the Steelers. And I did a little bit of research in what happened with the play because Jordan Berry took the direct snap, the, the Steelers punter, and tried to just make a run for it. And I guess that the fake got called off, but he didn't know that, but his other teammates did. And after the game, I guess Tomlin said that the Cardinals only had six men in the box. They had two return men back and they felt that they had a numbers advantage, which is why they called it initially. 
And again, it, it got called off, but Barry, the puncher, did not know that. I'll say this, and I'll, I'll credit Coach Tomlin for this. He took full responsibility in the post-game press conference, and you could tell he wasn't happy with the play just because it flipped the field. You know, you're up 10, and it gives the Cardinals, they take over at the Steelers 32. But just that miscue there didn't end up costing Pittsburgh, but it very nearly could have. And when the play happened, I was just like, what is going on here? But again, when you hear, when you read about it in the post game, you understand that there was just a miscue from Pittsburgh's standpoint. Yeah, that ain't nothing but communication. I mean, when all, when the other 10 guys get it, that the fake is off, you know, and the, and the opponent doesn't get it, that ain't nothing but a communication. But like Coach T said, he said, he took full responsibility of that. So that's the end of that. But at the same time, it could have turned out to a whole different situation, just like. Kyle Murray and, and the head coach trying to go for it on fourth down the red zone instead of getting three points could have turned into a different situation. So those just are situations. Coaches make them big buck kind of decisions. And sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. But from what I see, that wasn't nothing but a miscommunication part from all 11 guys. 10 guys got it, but the 11 guy didn't get it. And that's something you've talked about a lot on this podcast, Ike, with your former defense coordinator, Dick LeBeau, in the sense that, when a coach takes responsibility, what that does in the players trusting in said coach. And, you know, I, I've seen in that situation where, especially in the post game, where the coach will just throw his player under the bus and Coach Tomlin took full responsibility for it. And again, it didn't end up costing Pittsburgh, but what does that do for a player when your coach accepts responsibility for something that really is his fault. You can play for him. I can run through a brick wall for you. I can sacrifice for you. When the head coach takes full responsibility on his decision-making, and like you said, Mark, not throwing one of his players under the bus, especially to the media, you'll run through a brick wall for that coach. That's what made our defense so good at the time we was playing. That's why we was top 10. 10 years, I think it was in 12th spot one time out of 10 years when I played because Coach Dick LeBeau took full responsibility and he used to come in to the defensive meetings and be like, this one on me, I messed this one up. Or y'all made me look good on this particular play. I call the wrong play, but y'all made me look good on this play. So when you hear a Hall of Fame coach say that kind of stuff, it's like, so it's a domino effect to even if you felt sorry for yourself or you had a bad game, you best believe as a young or grown man, you had to take full responsibility and be like, yeah, I had a bad game. That was my fault. It won't happen again, guys. Just as well as Coach Tomlin and Dick LeBeau was going to say, yeah, that was all my decision-making. That's my fault. Um, if he wasn't lost the game, I would have put that game on me. It just says something about Coach T and who he is and Coach Dick LeBeau, who he is. It is just a domino effect. So now as a player, you have no room for excuses. All you got to do is man up when you play good or when you play bad. And I want to go to good call now. Hats off to the folks at Sunday Night Football. The Steelers and Bills will be on Sunday Night Football, and they flexed that game. Now the Vikings and Chargers, who were originally scheduled for the Sunday night slot, they will kick off at 4.05 Eastern in Los Angeles. So that game will now be televised on CBS I cannot wait to see this AFC showdown between two of the AFC's premier defensive teams. 
and it's the first time in 12 years the Buffalo Bills will be playing on Sunday night. I love whenever the Bills play in a big game because the announcers hype it up as if it's one of the biggest games in Bills history. This is a team that's made the playoffs recently. I'm pretty sure they made the playoffs. And it's just so funny whenever the Bills are on national TV, all the announcers just lose their minds and they don't put it in any kind of context. But hats off to the folks to put this game on Sunday Night Football. That was my good call. Like Coach T said, it's a five-star game because we're in it. It's a primetime game because <laughs> we're in it. And the Bills remind me of Seattle. Like, you get lost in the show because they're all the way up north on the east side, just like Seattle is all, all the way up north on the west side. So you kind of forget geographically where they at. But throughout the whole course of – even if you look at the last season toward the end of the season, the Bills – kind of only way into being this team which we see now it ain't hard it's the same thing the Tennessee Titans doing play good defense run the ball down your throat ask our quarterback not to turn the ball over that's that's the recipe for winning Super Bowls in December and January football and we talk about all these high profile wide receivers they look good for the regular season Mark look good for fancy look real good but when December and January come there is no 150-yard wide receiver unless you're Emmanuel Sanders and you playing inside the dome. Did you play against him in fantasy this week, Ike? No, not at all. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, usually the up-north teams or the cold-weather cities, they're in hunt for the playoffs, period. That's just how it is. Super Bowl will be in Miami, so I'm sure the, the weather in Miami might be a little bit nice, you know, depending on if it doesn't rain. But at the same time, when you play, you know, December late football, December, January football, usually your team from up north are in hunt for this. A five-star matchup because we're in it. I love that line. And the Steelers fans would probably agree with that just because did you see how many terrible towels were in Arizona yesterday? Mark, it was insane. I keep telling you, Mark, when I played, we played Seattle, San Fran, Arizona, Dallas. I thought it was a home game. Pittsburgh West. I thought it was a home game. When I say this Pittsburgh Steelers fan base travels and they travel well and they're worldwide. See, everybody talk about America team, but they don't travel well. So technically, <laughs> they're, they're not America team. When you play the Pittsburgh Steelers and the organization is saying, do not sell most of these tickets to Steeler fans because they're coming. They're saying a lot. But America's team, America's team only really sits in one city, and that's Jerry's world. But when you talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers brand and what they're doing, how these fans travel, that's worldwide. And you could see it. You could see it on Sunday. I, I don't want to wrap up this podcast unless we mention the great game that Deontay Johnson had the punt return touchdown, the receiving touchdown, six catches, 60 yards, and then Joe Hayden. And this was something I put out on Twitter, and you had talked about on the Believe in Steelers podcast several weeks back. Hayden had two interceptions, and on one of them, the first one, Cardinals are driving down in Steelers territory, and he breaks on a pass and steps in front of it and intercepts it. And you had taught me something, Ike, that the Steelers – keep their cornerbacks on one side of the field. So Hayden stays on the left side of the field. If 
you know, you're facing the line of scrimmage from a defensive standpoint. And he stepped in front of Murray's pass. And this was something that you had brought up in when a team keeps its corners on one side of the field, you can pick up some of the tendencies of the opposing team's offense. And that was something that was clearly evident with that interception that Hayden had. And that was something that you had pointed out to me and the advantages of when a defense decides to do that. So you just get in the rhythm as a cornerback when you're sitting on one side. And after you tweeted earlier this morning, I wind up coming behind you and retweeting the ad and putting a little ad lib into it. So as a left as a left-sided cornerback, meaning that's to the offense right side, usually your quarterbacks are right-handed. So the majority of the time, your strength as an offense will always go to the right because your quarterback is right-handed, unless you're a Michael Vickers or Steve Young, something like that. So when you're right-handed, you need a cornerback like a Ashante Samuel or a Joe Hayden who's used to reading, reading routes. So they do a very good job of reading routes, tips, and tendencies. And on the backside, your right-handed quarterback, since it's the weak side, of the defense and a weak side of the offense, they have to be good tacklers. So you gotta you gotta have a corner on the left side who can get comfortable in route reading. So when you're route reading, you're usually reading between one and two. You can read two two receivers at one time. On the back side, you damn sure better be a good tackler because usually your outside linebacker never gets to where he needs to get, and you're gonna be in one-on-one -on -one situations for the majority of the time of the weak side, and that's Nelson. He's a good tackler. So when you talk about guys drafting and, and picking up corners and you don't want to travel your corner, that's what you need on the left side. You need a left savvy corner like a Joe Hayden, who's good at route reading, then dissected or diagnosed throughout the course of the game. This is what they're trying to do. And you see him break off a of number one and come to number two in the flats to make that pick. On the left side, all we talk about, even though he hasn't been talked about a lot with Nelson, is tackle, 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 tackle. And it's not a good stat. But from a defensive coordinator standpoint, I know, and this cornerback knows because I learned this from Coach Tomlin, on that right-hand side, you have to be a good tackler because usually you're going to be on, in a lot of one-on-one -on -one situations where they throwing you the ball to your side or they running to your side because usually – in passing situations, outside linebackers usually don't get out that far. And that was something Coach Tomlin brought up after the game. He was asked about the play of his cornerbacks, and I'm paraphrasing here. He says something along the lines of that they're high-production players and very low-maintenance. You don't read a lot of, about a lot of these guys, and I understand a lot of the best defensive backs have – the utmost confidence, but with both of them, it just seems to be this quiet confidence and you can see their production back to back weeks with Hayden getting a game ceiling interception. And Hayden now has four interceptions on the year now too. And just what a sweet way to go off and to be able, the fact that Pittsburgh can rely on its defense at the end of the game up six to where you know the Cardinals are going to be in a passing situation. And mm -hmm. when the Steelers are in that situation, plays to their strengths. Yeah, I, I, and now when you get into the Florida game, when you got two cornerbacks who are healthy and they, they start to see the play out of the game, now they're looking to see what Cam, 
Hargraves, Big Dan, Bud, TJ, Chicolo. Now they start to see the pressure that defensive line is getting. So now they're able to diagnose, okay, maybe I can sit on this route because I see the tempo of the game. Our defensive line is kicking their O-line butt. Or I see the weakness from the tackle that our defensive ends, they're able to get to the quarterback and the quarterback is kind of seeing ghosts. Or we got a guy who's sitting in the pocket. I'm, 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 I'm sure corners love to see them guys with the front line, the defensive line that Pittsburgh has. If I'm Joy, if I'm Nelson, I'm just sitting back seeing the temperature on our defensive line, how fast they get to the quarterback, whether he's a quarterback that likes to scramble, which we have, have to plaster, or a quarterback that likes to sit in the pocket, which I know I can pick the, pick the ball off and just take guesses on route. So just having a defensive line like that and them guys, you know, playing with their hair on fire, so say, it's making the cornerback situations easy to read. And they made Kyler Murray look pedestrian. I mean, you're talking about a guy, former Heisman Trophy winner. I understand he's a rookie, but it shows mm-hmm. you the level of athleticism of the players in the NFL and the sense that mm-hmm. he's, not to, he's not able to scramble around and outrun the defense like he is at the college level. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole different level. It's the best of the best, Mark. So, no, nah, you're not going to be able to do that. I mean, when you got linebackers running four threes and four twos, like, it's just hard when you got a defensive lineman who can just flat out run. It's going to be hard to scramble like that. And even if you do scramble, you know, that window closed ASAP. It closed ASAP. So, and you just know as a quarterback, which I, which I do like about Kyle Murray is he knows how to slide early. So he's not taking any big hits. He's not trying to get any extra yards. He knows his value towards that franchise and himself. So when he does get in the funk, he slides, and I like to see that especially with his slight stature. Ike, on Taylor Talk today, you wanted to talk about how the Steelers have had players by committee at different position groups. Mm-hmm. Before the show today, I had mentioned the Steelers on, on their opening drive in this game on Sunday used four mm-hmm. different running backs on one drive. So that's just one position group. I'll let you take the floor from here. But again, I mean, we've detailed the injuries that the Steelers have had at a number of different offensive skill position players. And again, they still find ways to succeed and ways to win. And again, that was on display on Sunday. Yeah, so what, what I want to talk about was for the running back and the wide receiver position, running backs and wide receivers by committee. So what I mean by committee is we're not just going to depend on one person to win us the game and help us win us the game. So when you got a Snell, when you got a White, when you got a Jay Samuels, uh, coming out the backfield, and you even got Duck Hodges sometimes, even running the ball. You even got, you know, Deontay Johnson, a wide receiver, catching a, catching a wide receiver screen and flipping fields and trying to pick up first downs. When you got them guys, those guys are by committee. So as a defensive coordinator, you just can't singly focus on one guy. You might have a tip of tendency on be like when Jay Samuels is in the game, you just going back to his NC State games where he played tight end, running back, wide receiver on how athletic he was, but at the same time, you just can't focus on one receiver. You can't focus on the Johnson. You can't focus on the Washington. You can't focus on the DK. You just got to understand, man, we got to play straight up. Now, playing straight up from an offensive standpoint, when you just don't have a guy on the offensive side, now everybody's running crisp routes. They know where they need to be because they just don't know at that time 
man, I could be getting this ball. So it's not like you have a Juju and you think in third and three, possibly Juju won't get this ball. If you're a Duck Hodges, or oh, I want to force feed Juju. You know, everybody's coming out of that huddle and ready to go because they might get that ball at the wide receiver position. So when you have a position by committee, and that's that running back and that wide receiver position, man, it's kind of tough as a defensive coordinator to game plan because you really do have to play straight up. But from the offensive side, when we talk about that wide receiver position, man, everybody got to run good routes. Everybody got to run like they're about to get open and get the ball because that's usually how it is. Now, for the running backs by committee, when you tally up and see how many carries this team had, this team had 35 carries. When you're getting over 35 carries in the game, that's the recipe and the formula when you're playing good defense. One, keeping your defense on the sideline, keeping them fresh, regardless of whether you're scoring points or not, so they can come and finish games off like how they did against the Arizona Cardinals. Two, the time of possession becomes your friend, and that's what the Pittsburgh Steelers has been doing over these last three games, Mark. 35 carries. Snell led the way with 16 of those. But then, again, you go back to the receiving standpoint, too. Hodges was 16 of 19 throwing the ball. So most Mm -hmm. of the times when he's targeting a guy, he's able to complete said pass. And that's Mm got to be encouraging from a receiver standpoint in the sense that you have faith in your quarterback that he's going to get you the ball in a position to make a play. And the Steelers are doing that because they're distributing the ball, not just with one individual guy, but with, again, their plethora of running backs, but also all the different receivers that they had. And it was really a, a breakout game for Deontay Johnson as well. We mentioned this earlier, six receptions, 60 yards. He had a touchdown. He had that uh, end round, almost reverse play, and then the punt return touchdown. And really, he was the standout player from an offensive standpoint for Pittsburgh on Sunday. But it seems like each week we talk about this. With the Steelers, it's a different guy from week to week. And that's because, you know, it's almost out of necessity with this Steelers team. But I'm curious from week to week, okay, which guy's going to step up this week and, and, and be the hero? And this is a team, again, that's won seven out of eight games and is in a position to make the playoffs in the AFC, which is just incredible, given all of the different circumstances that for most teams would have folded up like a cheap tent. Yeah, when you handicap at those positions, the quarterback, the the center, the wide receiver, and the running back position, when you're handicapped, and I'm talking about real-life premier players, not only on that team, but just in the league. Like Big Ben is a premier player. Juju is a premier player. James Conner made the Pro Bowl last year. Pouncey, Hall of Famer, whenever he's done playing ball. So when you're missing guys, even though you just missed Pouncey for two games, but Two games is, is a lot when you're missing your starting starter quarterback, let alone your second and third string quarterback. When you're missing Juju at the wide receiver position, when you're missing James Conner. So when you just have those guys out, and we're talking about premier guys, man, is is the season ain't looking good for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But what you just said, Mark, man, you always wonder and figure it out. Every week is just somebody different. Every week from an offense and from a defensive standpoint, because you know. Magic Minka, earlier, he, he was the hot hand. It gets contagious when guys just make plays on defense. Now, who has the hot hand is Joe Hayden. So it's going to come a time if they do make the playoffs of Pittsburgh Steelers when you're going to have Magic Minka and Joe Hayden 
having a hot hand when you have T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree coming downhill. So that's how you got to look at it. When you're going to have James Conner and Snells and Samuels just coming downhill. When you have Juju back, but Deontay Johnson and James Washington, them, them guys had enough reps so they understand and get a feel for the game. So, yeah, it's a gift and a curse. You know, the curse is, man, we're down premier guys, but the gift is our young players are getting reps and they're getting confidence. And there's nothing like a game rep either. Two injuries the Steelers had in this game. Ted and Vance McDonald left with a concussion. Also running back Jalen Samuels had a groin injury. So keep an eye on those two guys there. Guys that were starting to contribute with this offense. So we'll see if they're down or if they end up playing against Buffalo. Saw Adam Schefter put out a tweet this morning, Ike, that Juju Smith-Schuster is going to try to come back and play Sunday against Buffalo that would be a huge addition to this offense because, again, just like you just said, some of these younger guys have gotten reps now, and you bring in another playmaker, Juju, a young player in his own right. But I'm a low, I'm a low manage, I'm a low man. If Juju comes back, I'm a low manage Juju because I feel as a coach and the coaching staff, our young guys are getting the confidence and they understand. So I'm not gonna ask Juju to come out and be the Juju that he once was coming off this injury. I'm going to come out, and I might ask Juju to be a decoy. That's how I'm looking at Like, I'm going to ask Juju to get on the field, but Juju, you probably won't get the ball in these situations, but you probably get doubled by a linebacker or a slot corner, and that's going to leave open for the for the Johnsons and the Washingtons on the outside. But understand, I'm a low man to Juju. Now, if you're wide open, I'm going to throw the ball to you. <laughs> but at the same time, that's how I would – use Juju pretty much as a decoy. Hopefully, I'm not giving out the game plan. But pretty much as a decoy, so say first, just to check the temperature and see what defense is doing on the other side. You read my mind because that was going to be my question, uh, you know, if, if that's how the Steelers should game plan for this game. But it's going to have to be all hands on deck against this Bills team, a Buffalo team that very nearly beat the Baltimore Ravens, and I think you can say this without a doubt after this last weekend, the top two teams in the NFL, you got the Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers, and just the way that both of these teams are trending, they, they played a week before this in week 13, and I'll say this, if that wound up being the Super Bowl, wow. And again, we've pointed this out on this show several times if you look at the last 10 Super Bowl winners they're all cold weather teams that are able to run the ball and have and play effective defense yes the quarterback play factors in you've got to have a guy for the most part that can go win you a football game and he's got to stack up and be one of the premier guys but if you don't have those other things in line you don't stand a very good chance of winning late in the season go look at the last 10 Super Bowl winners year in and year out. They're cold weather, cold weather teams that are able to run the ball late in the season when the weather changes. Something we, I feel like we say every single week. You're you keep saying it, they don't have to listen. <laughs> it's the truth, though. It's the truth, though. No, it you're is. right, 100%, Mark. If you're interested in advertising or becoming a presenting sponsor of the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, please contact Believe at BLEAV.com. That's BLEAV.com as well. Ike, was there anything else from week 14 that stuck out to you? Nah. Um, for the most part, this is this is 
and we we've been talking about this, so we're gonna keep talking about this. For the most part, when it comes down to December, January, you're gonna have to play good defense, and you're gonna have to be able to run the ball. I know the start of a football season when it comes down to September and all the high flying scoring points and receivers catching touchdowns all day. If you don't have a receiver that can catch the ball in the cold, you ain't going to Super Bowl unless you're in the dome. So, again, by the end of the day, regardless of what your fantasy team is or the fantasy point, football is playing good defense, big guys running, little guys hitting, and on the offensive side, we're getting down and dirty. We smash mouth. You know where we're going, but we're still going to get that kind of football. Absolutely. Just want to take a second, too, to thank the listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe each show. We welcome your feedback. We'll leave our social media handles in the show notes for today's show as well. So feel free to reach out to us if you have comments, questions. We're always trying to improve this and make this a better experience for you, the listeners. That's why we do it week in and week out. Make sure, make sure everybody tune in for me and Mark Bergen, you know, on this Believe podcast, still a podcast show. I told y'all, man, we be throwing on the smoke on here. Everything is truth. Everything is facts with a lot of personality. So we appreciate everybody just listening. Make sure y'all tune in to the Believe podcast, still a show between Mark and I. Peace. For Ike Taylor, I'm Mark Bergen. Thanks for listening to the Believe in Steelers podcast. We'll see you next week. So long, everybody. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.